Hello, and welcome to Cowl Fans, a popped-off production, the casual fans home for Overwatch League news. We're coming at you from Tampa, Florida. I'm your host, Alurimore. I'm Haller. And we have so much stuff to go over for you this week. <laughs> so for much really? stuff. Um, stuff that I totally missed and Haller has told me about this morning, and I'm still processing. <laughs> um, there's a big May Madness tournament coming, which is going to be super fun to talk about. But... Mm-hmm. Before we talk about that, let's talk about what happened. That way, we don't have to dwell on the past for longer than we need to. Right. Did you like that? I just I came up with like that line. That. I thought that was pretty good. And despite a very one-sided scoreline for the majority of the weekend, I very much enjoyed Overwatch this weekend. Yeah, I did too. I will say... I have to mention that uh, in Saturday's games, I found them very unmemorable, but I uh, still enjoyed myself. Sunday's games, I thought, were particularly memorable. No bias, though, right? No bias, no bias. (laughs) And it's uh, worthwhile, I think, to go ahead and start at the one that I'm least biased in favor of, which is the game of Florida. (laughs) Yeah, so... The shortest match in Overwatch League history happened this weekend. Mm. And that was the Florida Mayhem versus the Boston Uprising. And it wasn't a Florida loss either. No, no. Florida came out and and trounced the Boston Uprising. And you know what this felt like to me? No, this tell me what it felt like, like to you. This was like an anime arc where... The Florida Mayhem, like, started off, like, as these nothings and nobodies getting beat up. They were weak at the start of the show, but they've they've taken some time. They took a two-year break. They've, they've gotten stronger, and they've come back, and they fought these these characters that represented them, their old selves. Oh. And that's, that's what this game felt like, because we had the Boston Uprising... They're the only team in the league with only six players on their roster. They have no opportunity. They to don't have, have eight players on their roster. No, they do not. How they are they getting away with that? I I think because of the COVID situation, they uh, understand it's hard to just pick up somebody. But sure. they only have six players right now. They're coached by Mineral. It's literally the 2018 Florida Mayhem. <laughs> really is though. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Minus just, the minus the years of synergy having played as a team together already. Right, right. Just that's that's the only thing they're missing. But and, and minus Jerry, J- like Jerry is Plus there. Plus Jerry, <laughs> I guess. So maybe not. Um, or plus Jerry, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was like Florida playing their old selves, and like we were getting to see. Oh, this is how much Florida has grown since where we started. Um, is kind of what it felt like for me. And we've grown a lot. We came out and we just rolled them. The first two maps weren't even close. Like, I, no. they got five kills on the first map in total. And then the second map, they got... Full hell? Say, yeah, well, they got full hell. They got some kills, though. I think they oh. might have like gotten another four to six kills on on the assault map but florida wrecked them like didn't lose a single team fight the entirety of the first half no it was wild 
as a person even when they should have lost the team fight right that they would get the opening pick and i was like oh well that was a stupid engage that's how nepal started i'm like well boston should win the first fight and then we were like nah nope well and then um one thing i really thought was impressive it was either see and part of this struggle is was it an impressive play by florida or was it a terrible failure by boston but I, I felt like it was a little bit of both. But um, in uh in in Paris, when Boston had all but capped that first point, yes, Florida comes back and makes a recontest, which like a three person, like it was like a three v six. It was right. like Gargoyle, Chris, and I don't even remember who else was there. But I want to say Yaki. I think so. Maybe. And but the, those are not <laughs> those are not fights that you take to win. Those are fights that you take to run down the clock a little bit more and. Right. They ran down the clock all the way to zero and went one. <laughs> yes. It It was wild. It was wild. Yeah. It it did feel like like Florida was dominant a lot. Um it started to feel like Florida was realizing how dominant they were and then about halfway through Paris really started to play with their food. And then mm. we felt it a lot on Dorado, like Carion going for the one eighty shatters off the top rope of dorado yeah and getting punished for that um but it only felt like we did that on our defense and then we like regrouped and said okay no more and then we didn't lose a single team fight again for our entire offense and then got halfway to c which is where they got stopped with four minutes four minutes in the bank that's that's... (laughs) like we were if if we were attacking and actually got to finish the map we probably would have set a map record (laughs) yeah that really doesn't happen in the top five it was it was bad like that was the only time you really saw some holes in our armor just some we had some very we were playing very aggro on defense which i'm a little concerned about like i don't know how much of it was we're playing with our food and how much of it's like kooky's been saying we're trying to control tempo more and play more aggressive like how much of it was just us playing aggressive right because boston seemed like they kind of figured us out a little bit more they would like see us rush in and then you know you would do the old thing you lucio speed boost away and you said no we're not gonna let you roll over us we're gonna pull back and then roll over you um and they did yeah and they did they did it pretty well like i was i was impressed by the adaptations that they made during halftime it still wasn't enough but honestly tell the adaptations were made honestly there were a couple of times when i saw florida when i saw boston get early picks and i saw florida just back up yeah and they didn't wait they didn't wait they just said nope we know that an early pick from them not good we're just gonna back up and it was smart playing and then i remember I remember. I think. I think it was on Dorado. It must have been on attack if it was on Dorado, though. I remember Yaki switching off of a McCree that had high noon. Yes. Um, well, I think we had a bad read on the meta, and we were getting punished for it. We were. We were. And so it really. It actually reminded me of when we interviewed uh, Doc Haskell, and he said, "No, your ultimate does not matter as much as your composition does." And yeah. I really saw that happen right there, and I went. You know, I, I looked at my wife and I said, that's exactly what uh, what uh, another Overwatch League coach has said to us, is this is the smart play. And usually we see people do this and we sort of criticize them for it. But I think he made a smart decision and it worked. 
It worked. Mm-hmm. It was effective. Especially with High Noon. It's such a low-impact alt most of the time in pro play. Right. So, um, it was just a good thing to see. I liked seeing the smart plays. I like seeing the pull back when you need to pull back. The switches, mm-hmm. not regardless of your ultimate status. Um, it just yep. good all around. It was very exciting. <clears throat> yeah. So, um... You mentioned Florida had a battery on the meta. Yes. But uh, we saw some pretty intense reads on the meta from the Atlanta versus Fusion game the day before. Yes. So that game was fascinating, and I don't think anybody expected this to turn out the way it did. Because, so Philly versus Atlanta, they're kind of going at it. Things At the start, things seem normal. And then all of a sudden, Baby Bay pulls out the Ash, and you're just like, oh, Baby Bay, you know, he, he played Ash back in the GOATS meta, like, up until KSP last weekend, he had been the only Ash player, basically, in all of Overwatch League. Right. So, you're just like, oh, Baby Bay and his Ash, here it is, the classic Baby Bay Ash, and then all of a sudden, Carpe switches to Ash. And the whole game is just Ash v. Ash for the first time in Overwatch League, which was super fun and super interesting. Um, and they brought up a good point on the cast. I don't remember exactly who was casting. I want to say it was Jaws and Hex, but I'm not fully sure. But any, I know they brought up this good point because they said, because it was we were running Ryan Zarya mm-hmm. with ash was, yep. or what philly and atlanta were running and their question was is ash being played because of the zarya or is zarya being played because of the ash right but it was very interesting to see the ash come out because that's just never been something we'd seen we saw bobs just shooting each other on point <laughs> we did it was it was a fascinating display and a lot of it did seem to be because of the scope change um, that they can confirm kills quicker. Mm. So because if you've been keeping up with how Ash works and what they've changed recently, basically before Ash was never was considered not ideal because she couldn't get one shots like Widow, right? Um, Widow, if you click on a head, they die. If you click on someone as Ash, unless you're getting mercy boosted, um, it's that take that two player taps. isn't gonna die. It's you have to hit them a second time. Right. And um, if you switch from your scope and then try to shoot unscope, there was like a there's like a second delay between it. Um, so you were very vulnerable trying to switch between scoped and unscoped. They basically got rid of that delay. I think it's still there, but it's so minimal. It just feels it feels a lot more natural. Mm-hmm. So you can take a shot. Get a headshot, know that that person's low, and then switch to an unscoped shot. And even if you just get a body shot, that person's going to die. Right. So, and you saw a lot of that, a lot of quick two taps. And it seems like you, because you don't have to wait, like Widow has a, has a, has a charge to her scope, right? It takes a while before she gets to the point where she can actually do those headshots. Ash might actually be better because of how quick her rate of fire is and her reload isn't as long anymore. So you're getting more value. Plus in a Reinhardt meta, you could throw your dynamite over the shield. Right. Um, 
it's almost like a higher value flashbang because if you think about it a lot of times you like throw a flashbang over reinhardt's shield you're just gonna i mean yeah you might dink the reinhardt a couple times and maybe if you did really good timing you're gonna take out the reinhardt but most of the time you're just feeding the enemy on some charge you're gonna get him to about 25 percent health he's gonna get unstunned he's gonna put his shield up a grenade's gonna go down and then everyone's just gonna heal up that Reinhardt to full, and you just you just gave them an early nano boost that they're gonna put on their Reinhardt to destroy you, right? Right. So it felt like a bit of an adaptation to 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 what had been already being done with McCree, um, which is really interesting. And we only saw in this match basically, um, and on this day, it didn't carry over onto the Sunday matches. And it hardly carried over into the Shock Valiant match. Shock played it. You saw a lot of Striker on right. Ash, but Valiant was like <laughs> Ash. That's, that's so last weekend. <laughs> we're playing. We're playing Reaper McCree, man. That's true. We've it's... been screaming Florida Mayhem all weekend. <laughs> but I feel like you got to see why Florida Mayhem didn't want to play the Ash because just to go back to the other game really quick. Um, Boston tried to run Ash once on Nepal Sanctum, and Florida Mayhem ran out with what was basically the Chinese meta. They ran out with a, um, a Rhine Sigma, a double shield, and the Ash got shut down so hard because they just had no shield break. And mm -hmm. then um, Florida decided to run a Hanzo with it, so they had extra shield break and just it... it it felt like a hard countering of, of the Ash comp. So maybe that's why Florida and teams like Valiant were steering away from it because they knew this comp. Like, this is where they ended in their rock, paper, scissors was was Reaper McCree. Right. I don't think it was the ideal overall. It felt like the, the, May, the McCree May, like the classic of this season was the better comp, I think. But... It was it was really interesting to see some Ash play, um, and it was interesting to see it disappear the next day. So, are we going to see Ash in the future? Very likely, considering the hero pools <laughs> this yeah. next week. Um, but after that, like in, in this May tournament, when hero pools are gone, I'm very interested to see how teams are going to be learning from all these hero pools. Like, how much Torbjorn and Ash are we going to see? Right, as it are these really just symptoms of hero pools or are we going to see them more? Cause widow was active this week. Like we could have played widow and we chose Ash. Right. Interesting. So it was also interesting that, um, Philly managed to three Oh, the Atlanta rain after they went to five maps last time. <laughs> it was oh. really close. If you go back like three Oh, that's a good match to watch. It was incredibly close. Just Philly clutched it out every time. It's true. It's true. So, oh, there was one. There's another game that you really want to talk about. Um, we're mostly a show for casual fans, which means we don't expect yeah. you to get up at four or six in the morning and watch games. We expect you to get up at four or six in the morning and watch us. So, <laughs> huh? so something happened in Asia. Yes. And. Um, the great dragons versus dynasty game that you were so excited about and you wanted last week yeah. before the schedule was posted you said you want to see that game and you got it i did and i got it was and it everything you hoped for it was 
it was everything I hate I hoped for and nothing that I expected. Mm. This was an exciting game of Overwatch. This was the statement match of the season. I was floored by this game. So a bit of context. The day before, you have all your big dogs roll into China, right? Seoul plays Hangzhou, Shanghai plays Guangzhou, and then New York plays Chengdu. So Seoul, Dynasty, and New York all roll in as the big dogs, and they all deliver and just absolutely crush their competition. Back-to-back-to-back, 3-0s, not even close, just destroy the other teams. And then you're just, you're thinking to yourself, you're me. You're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, here we go. Shanghai versus Seoul. Seoul came out slapping on Saturday. Shanghai came out slapping. Both of these teams have good reads on this meta. We in for a banger. And Shanghai comes out and trashes the Seoul dynasty. And it's not even like Seoul is playing bad. You could see these moments of brilliance. Like, Seoul was doing these crazy combos. They did it Saturday and they did it Sunday, where they would they would pair shatters with flashbang. It would be like instant, boom, boom. Like flashbang would come out and a shatter would immediately hit the ground and just the entire team would be waylaid. Like they had these crazy combos, these crazy pop-offs, but it was never enough. Shanghai was just playing like in another dimension. It was they were they were everywhere and nowhere at once. Like you felt like like they were all over the map and you're just like okay we'll just isolate this target and they would they would move as a perfect unit and just kill you they seemed unstoppable they had these crazy pincer strategies and then they could just switch it up and just play normal they could play off meta they could play they could play the meta it was a master class in overwatch watching this match reminded me of watching the san francisco shock through the losers bracket of playoffs just this ridiculously good team that even when going up against other good teams that you could see are playing well it's not like soul was we were just like oh soul's a bad team it was more of holy crap shanghai dragons are that good like it doesn't seem like anybody might be able to get to that level Mm. um it was it was crazy to watch just lip like we need to start talking about Lip as Rookie of the Year. Because this guy comes on a team with with DM, with DM, and benches the boy in his rookie year, a player nobody's heard of. Like, I can't even tell you off the top of my head what team Lip came from. I had no idea who this guy was. It was the it was like it was like when Ansam Sniper got picked up by the San Francisco Shock. It's like, who is this guy? And then he's he benches DM week after week. Like, they only play DM when they know they're going to beat up on, like, Hangzhou Spark or something. Like, a team they don't even feel threatened by in the least bit. Um, but he comes out, and he just wrecks Fitz. And Fitz looked banana nuts the day before. Like, Fitz was looking like maybe the best McCree we've ever seen. And then Lip was like, nah. Nah. It was... It, it was it was insane, just all around fearless, fearless. Owen forty Shanghai Dragons fearless came out against the Seoul Dynasty, who had let who had yet to lose a match and all destroyed season. them. Granted, they only played three games, but <laughs> Hangzhou Spark 
Los Angeles Valiant, Los Angeles Gladiators. It's not like they were beating up Boston, you know? Right. Like, they were fighting pretty good at the worst middle-of-the-pack teams. And they were... It didn't even look close in any soul game up until this point. And then Fearless comes in and is like, nah, gesture who, boy. Bro, I'm, I'm fearless. Just, it was... It's... It was something it's to something. see. I mean, if you've got... 30 minutes, that's all you need to go back and watch that match if you're skipping the commercials. It's mad quick and just ridiculous, ridiculous show of strength from the Shanghai Dragons. Yeah, these uh, pincer strategies you're describing are actually remarkably an, uh, interesting to me. Um, uh, I, I, most of our, uh, most people probably don't realize this, but I've always sort of been an advocate that there's got to be a way to run drills in Overwatch, right? All the best mm -hmm. sports teams do that. Yep. Um, and we've never really seen anybody come out with something that looked consistent, looked like a consistent pincer strat or like a, you know, and when people do try to do pincer strats, they either work yeah. really well one time or they never work. They never seem to work mm -hmm. more than once. So I wonder if Shanghai maybe has sort of cracked the code to overwatch drills maybe to accomplish yeah, something like this Costa did a breakdown of one of their so in the post show um of after the game sunday night right Costa was just like yeah forget all the matches we just watched we're gonna break down shanghai versus soul with some of these ridiculous pincers and he did one of um it, it's if you could go back and watch it another good clip to watch is when he breaks down their um their hanamura attack because they have three people teleport basically right to above point on Hanamura B. And then EJ Gon as Baptiste jumps into the the window onto like kind of that that high ground. I always think of it as a Soldier 76 high ground for like all us OGs who used to watch Overwatch mm -hmm. back in the Apex days. Like where Soldier 76 always would be. It's that high ground. There's the two windows that go out of the point. Yep. But you like you could see the entirety of the area. Yeah. So he sets up with a uh, Baptiste window up there just on his own. And then I, Void and someone else. I think I want to say Void and Fleta on the May go go the normal route, the around the right and then up onto the even higher high ground kind of on the side there. Right. Where most of most of uh, Soul was waiting. You know, because normally teams just meet at that door and crash into each other. Yeah. That's kind of how Hanamura works. But they do this crazy pincer and just, there's three players on point, there's one player up in the window, and there's and then there's just two players flanking. Coming up the uh, the normal route. And Sol is just like, and it just died, just decimated. It was like this. The Shanghai attack, I need to go back and look. Like It'll be interesting when the stat lab gets updated, because that might have been the fastest Hanamura attack. Because I'm pretty sure they just decimated point A and point B like in an instant. It was... It was it's a good game. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, um, probably a less exciting game, for sure. So not probably. For sure a less exciting game. But a game that always turns out to be more exciting than it deserves. The Battle for Frickin' Texas, man. Oh my gosh. So, so we have the Dallas Fuel who are coming off of the cup, a hot couple of weeks, honestly. A couple of weeks where they've looked really well, where they've won games, 
where they've been saying, forget this, we're going to play what we want, and we're going to succeed at it, and they have been because their DPS line is really good. And the Houston Outlaws, who have been coming off of, you know, being shaky and towards the bottom of the pack, Houston Outlaws. It yeah. didn't look like it should be a close game, and it's never... it. I, don't, I can't say never. It rarely looks like the battle for Texas should be a close game. It yeah. usually looks like there should be a pretty clear, definitive winner. And mm-hmm. it always comes out closer than it should. And so, and, God, this match was like torturous at one point. <laughs> I was just like, I want to listen to what John Spector has to say. Would you teams just stop? Because this, this, this game went the distance, man. Map 5, point three. Just last second, everything you could get out of this game. Um, it is interesting to see two teams with weird takes on hero pools come out. Right. We've seen Houston just decide that we suck at everything but Sombra Doomfist, so we're just going to play Sombra Doomfist basically all the time. Yeah. Um, and then Dallas Fuel is just like, bruh, I don't know. We're just going to play what seemingly should be the worst possible meta and beat you anyway. That's what Dallas Fuel seems to me. Because, like, I don't, I don't even, I don't understand the picks they make. It's just like, okay, we're running into Reaper May. What should we do? Okay, so they're playing Reaper May. Let's go Winston Genji. This is going to work well. Let's go Winston Genji. Like, I don't know if you've ever played Winston into a Reaper. It's not it's not there effective. is not a, a worse feeling in the world. Like it's just dreadful trying to do that. Because if the Reaper gets anywhere close to you, two taps and you're dead. You so you have to play incredibly passive, which is generally not what you want your main tank to be doing. He needs to at least be taking some space, right? But you have no tempo control. And then you've got your your Genji trying to deal with two heroes that have self-heal and have an ice block, which is more self-heal. It is it's a tough situation, but it took it would take them until he got a dragon blade, but Decay would get a dragon blade and then That's it. 99 to zero, they'd get the flip and some somehow they'd win. It just Dallas Field doesn't make any sense. They what they're doing should never work. It's stupid on all accounts, and sometimes it doesn't work, but it works enough for them to win. That's somehow. true. That's it. It works enough for them to get taken to take San Francisco Shock to map five, but it also doesn't work enough to get taken to map five by the Houston Outlaws as well. Right. So <laughs> it's like Dallas Fuel is going to be that team. We've had teams like this in the past, right? That they could take the top dogs. To, to like to the very edge but then they're also going to be fighting the worst teams all the way to the like they play everybody they play into other teams level right it feels very it's got they've got a very chungdu vibe right now they've got a very last year's chungdu vibe they do <laughs> it's kind of fun it's kind of fun we all loved feels. watching chungdu last year and i yep. think we are going to enjoy watching dallas it's this like year. two different pieces of chungdu is like Chengdu has become the state of Texas, and there's just two different identities of Chengdu have been split. <laughs> so you've got Jinmu just plays Farah and you die. That's the Houston Outlaws with Blase's Doomfist, right? So that that's that one mentality. And then the Dallas Fuel mentality is we're just going to play something that makes no sense and you're not going to know how to deal with it. 
that's the Dallas fuel Chengdu mentality. And just they take in both pieces of the Chengdu formula and just ran with one piece each. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to see both of them collide. And it it made for entertaining Overwatch, but objectively awful Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. So that's that. No more dwelling in the past. Let's talk about the right. future. All right. Oh my gosh. So okay. in the future, I'm gonna pull up the web page to make sure that I yes get everything right. All right. Here we go. All right. So first off, if you're looking for the schedule for next week, don't look in the schedule section. Go right to the Overwatch League homepage, and the very top is an article about May Madness, and that's what you want. Oh, and I'm actually misclicked it, and I clicked the wrong one. <laughs> uh, May Madness. Now I got it. All right. Yep. Um, all of the May schedule has been posted in this May Madness article. Um, I'm not sure when or if they're going to update the actual schedule section in their website, which is I a frustration they will of mine. But um, yeah, I hope that they will eventually. I assume nothing. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, so, here's what's fixing to go down in the month of May. We are about to have... We are about to have a May Madness tournament, which will consist of three weeks of qualifier matches, right? And then it looks yeah. like a single week of single elimination tournament brackets, right? Yes. So, during this time, hero pools are going to be suspended. So we're going to see what happens to people when they get the only hero during pools lifted. The, only during the actual tournament. It says so for all May tournament matches. Yes. So, so the tournament matches are the ones in the last week of May. So May 22nd, like when... The, all the teams have officially been seeded, and they're now competing for the prize money and the extra wins. Um, uh, that's when hero pools get unlocked. But next week, there's hero pools. The week after that, so there's three weeks of qualifiers, or basically your three weeks of regular season. There it is. Um, I see it. I see it. We'll still have hero pools. But once the tournament starts and regular season stops being mostly impacted, um, or stops being impacted in a normal way, right? Um, that's when that's when the hero pools turn off. Right. So there's some prize money for winning and any tournament win that you get and whatever for your placements, which you can feel free to go look at because I don't feel like that's super important. Yeah. Um, they're going to have first to three matches for the most part until the finals, which are going to be first to four maps. So that sounds mm -hmm. good. Higher seeded teams pick first maps. Losing teams pick maps in the next series in case of draws team that picked previous map picks again here's really here's really what i want to talk about here all right um is okay. it is it quarterfinals of both yes in the quarterfinals in both of these regional tournaments because they're separating it into asia and north, north america, america. Mm -hmm. the quarterfinals the seeded teams the lower half of the seeds get to pick who their um, opponents are going to be. No, it's the so it's the upper the upper the, half the, of the seeds. The top, excuse me. Yeah, get to get pick to pick their opponents. So that's going to probably be really important, um, mm -hmm. particularly as a Florida Mayhem fan, 
because we we actually are in a pretty interesting situation going into this tournament. So looking at the next three weeks, so it seems like scheduling is going to be based off of like so the seating is just going to be based off the next three weeks of play rather than the overall standing. Correct. That's what it seems like. That's what but it, it also reads. seems weird because. So it, it talks about every North American team is going to play three games. But if you didn't hear, Vancouver is back in North America, apparently. And they're going to be playing four games. So something isn't adding up. Right. Um, I only got more confused after listening to John Spector and then reading this. And I'm just like, hold on. This doesn't... What? I don't, I don't fully understand what's going on. But it seems like it's going to be based off the next three weeks. Florida Mayhem plays Boston Uprising and Washington Justice. Feels good. two of their three games. So we have a really good shot of probably placing in the top eight. Um, just, just looking at our brackets, I think we'll probably tie with Los Angeles and Atlanta because I've already looked at all the games and tried to figure out like reasonably who do you expect to win. Right. There's a pretty good shot. We landed like the fifth to seventh range. And with two games that we could probably get easy three O's, I feel good about our potential for map differential. And then our other game is Vancouver, which is a big question mark, right? Like Vancouver, you feel like should beat Florida. But if we see the same Vancouver that we saw just show up in China, there's a good chance we could beat that. That's true. So there, there's a, and if we go three O, we're almost definitely top four, which would be ridiculous. That would be amazing, actually. <laughs> I think no matter how this is scheduled, we have a really good shot at being automatically placing in the top six mm -hmm. if we could just by be by sweeping Boston and Washington. And then if we win all three games, we should be in the top four, which yeah. is a crazy place for Florida Mayhem fan to, to even be. That's but true. I won't harbor that too much. But this tournament is really interesting um have you figured out your feelings for it yet now that you've got to think about it for like 50 minutes <laughs> not even 50 minutes um yeah so there's there's one more piece of this puzzle that we haven't addressed yet and this okay. is this is what's really throwing me this is the piece that's making it hard for me to figure out how i feel about this at the end of the tournament in each region mm -hmm. the tournament champions will have so the actual bracket, tournament bracket, is not contributing to the regular season games. But right. at the end of the tournament, the champions on each side will have three wins added to their wins column for regular season play. Mm -hmm. Second place teams will have two. Third place teams will have one. This is the part that's making it hard for me because I, they, they, I understand that they wanted to uh create some purpose behind this tournament for the regular right. season um which is a good thing that will honestly encourage the teams to put a little more effort into it and play harder yeah. and we'll get better games out of that because of that i understand that and that's a valid thought process but three extra wins in your wins column is it, it's massive for what amounts to uh, a, a, a weekend's worth of playing. I mean, I know we have three weeks worth of qualifiers here, 
So it's not right. just a weekend's worth of playing. But the fact of the matter is, there are th- those three weekends worth of qualifiers are. I mean, Florida's got a pretty lucky draw there, right? And for yeah. the potential to with the potential, no guarantee, but for us to even be thinking about potentially being top four it, right off the top. Yeah. I, I, as much as I love Florida and I want them to get all those extra W's in their board, I, I'm not sure they deserve them. Right. It, it really feels like this is it really right. feels like this is an effort to correct the trajectory of the fact that we have messed up our schedule and so a lot of the teams that were supposed to be playing this way or that way aren't anymore. Um, we're not all playing twice in our own areas and one from the other areas like we were supposed to against other teams. Mm-hmm. So it feels like this is an effort to sort of correct the fact that we really don't know who's as good as who right now. But right. it feels like a massive, massive overcorrection. Three extra wins in your win column is too big for this. And the fact yeah. of the matter is that there's only seven teams in the Asia region competing and 13 so, teams in yeah, this. Th- that's where my where what I dislike a little more. Like I don't mind it from the North American sense. Um, honestly, when I was watching the video and he said it was going to impact things, I thought the winner would automatically be locked into playoffs. So instead of having an Atlantic, like in the um, champion of the Atlantic division and the champion of the Pacific division, both getting the top seeds, right. I was thinking this would work as a mid-season tournament. Um, and then those top two seeds would basically secure their spots for the, for the playoffs in, in the fall. Sure. Um, that's kind of what I was expecting. Um, I don't hate this, but I dislike the the Asia region because, like, I, I there's there's just less competition, right? We have thirteen teams trying to compete for the top, the the top four slots. So I think the top four teams probably deserve these wins, and I don't really mind. It's it. only top three. Top four. Um, tournament champions get three wins. Second place gets two wins. Three, third, and fourth place teams get one. Oh, two, third, and four. Oh, I missed the fourth place in there. Yes. So the top four okay. teams. So basically, your semifinalists will all get extra wins. Um. So I don't mind that for North America, but like for China, that's just you have to not be the bottom three. Um, and. I just feel like that's too much to chance, especially like understanding the Asian region. So you've got your three big dogs, right? Shanghai, um, um, totally blanking Seoul and New York kind of beat up the majority of the competition, it seems. But then we don't really know how London is. I don't expect them to be that good. If at best they're competitive with the other teams, right? Your Chengdu, your Hangzhou, and your Guangzhou. Um, these teams just seem like it's a coin flip on any given week who's going to beat the other. Right. Um, particularly like Guangzhou and Hangzhou. I think every game they've had has gone to map five. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like 2-1 in favor of Guangzhou right now. But it's it's a coin flip. And so this is just a flip of a coin who's going to get an extra win in the column. I don't love that idea, especially like since there's so few teams in the Asia region. Yeah. And I really don't like that it would if it is just based off these next three weeks of play, I really don't like that. 
I would much prefer it to be the season standings and, and then and to go based off of that. I understand not all the teams have played the same amount of games. So I think that's why they're trying to do this. But Vancouver already breaks your system, man. Like Vancouver already can be playing four games according to your schedule instead of three, like all the other North American teams. Like it's already broke. Um so I, I think it just it just makes more sense. And looking at the standings, so I, I I've already looked at kind of what I'd expect to happen and what what it looks like for um or so I, I did it based off of what if it's the season standings that qualif that qualifies people and what if it's just the next three weeks of play? Where do I kind of expect everything to shake out right it doesn't change that much um the only thing that changes is paris gets way punished because their schedule is really hard and the valiant rise up a little bit more like there would almost be no chance of valiant being in the top eight there's a good chance valiant would be in the top eight based off their schedule um if it's just going based off these last next three weeks yep um, and I don't know if I love that, like a team like Paris, that even though they have a tough schedule, because they've done well so far this season, they would still probably be able to be top eight, even if they drop a couple games. Because Paris has to play Philadelphia and Gladiators. Um, it's tough. It's possible, but it's it's tough, right? It's a tall Especially order. compared to someone like Florida who gets to play Boston <laughs> and Washington. Yeah. So it just it feels like your your the schedule is too overemphasized, um, and sometimes and just some people have hard strength of schedule. Toronto has to play San Francisco Valiant and Gladiators. Um, Houston has to play San Francisco Atlanta and Vancouver. So some some of these teams are just crazy difficult schedules, and some people are the Florida Mayhem. Some people are the San Francisco Shock. Houston Toronto are two of the teams they get to play. And that's your best team, one of the should be one of the best teams in the league, right? Yep. But that doesn't feel as impressive to me. San Francisco placing high off of those wins versus, okay, well, San Francisco has gone up against the Gladiators three times. They've they've corrected mistakes from early in the season. They look like a top dog. They should be in the top three based off these last three weeks. Eh. Yep. Especially if they lose to Atlanta, which is a real possibility so i i don't i don't love i don't love i mean i guess it makes sense because it's the may tournament so it only goes off of matches based in may right i'd much rather this be a mid-season tournament and then have all the teams qualify like that but i understand covid kind of messed everything's up the schedules aren't balanced the way they were supposed to be at this point right so they felt like they couldn't go with that but i will again point to vancouver and say is broken anyway that's other right. way better <laughs> yeah it, it's that's kind of how it feels honestly and it's it's a struggle and um, i'm glad they're doing it though i like i think this is better than nothing like i like a mid-season tournament is exciting we were just talking about last week how we were missing these sort of games because and because stage finals were some of the most exciting games right because the they pitted the season. juggernauts against one another yeah, I mean, we had that Shanghai storyline in Stage 3, the Shock versus Titans games in the first two stages. Just awesome. Be like, the best parts of the season were those, minus some of the random playoff games we had in the lead-off before Grand Finals. 
Um, yeah, I think uh, I think an effort to bring some of those back in future seasons would be a worthwhile yeah. effort. But as of right now, we're just not well, at that what's place. What's interesting too but this that is... doesn't get said in that article, um, and you would only know if you watch the John Spector interview. Based off this tournament and the feedback that they received, there might be more tournaments like this this year. Oh. Like, I don't know if it's going to be bi-monthly or it's going to be a monthly thing. Like, at the end of every month, we're going to do one of these tournaments. I, it's still I, I no longer like this. left the door open I'm that officially against it. more. I'm officially <laughs> against it. More than... One tournament where you throw out a couple of extra Ws, even that's got me on the fence feeling like an overcorrection. Multiple right. tournaments where you're throwing out extra Ws, I'm 100% against that. That feels like a total, total teardown, shutdown, failure of the competitive, competitive, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Staying true to your competitiveness, whatever. Right. I so, can't remember the word I, I mean, want. It's interesting to see them innovate with a, um... Integrity. I want to be competitive. Integrity. Sorry. Yes. I, I, it's 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 interesting to see them innovate with um how how the tournament structure works. I guess if you want to call the entire season a tournament, um and kind of not just sticking straight up to more of the traditional sports model and going a little bit more esports fancy with it. Right. Um. I see the the intrigue in it, and it does make for bit more exciting storylines there's a bit more drama especially with the tournaments um there should be some better games build some excitement for the fans so i do i do like those aspects um but i i understand the the um what you're saying as well i will say when when he first said the word tournament my heart dropped because i thought we were going to do it like call of duty which i did not want well, they honestly, it feels like a step in that direction. If... So it is a step in the direction, but it's a good compromise between having a regular season and also getting these tournaments that are more like the the stage finals and giving them a little more weight. If if we if I had to choose one or the other, I prefer this. Mm. So I will say that. Um, I think there's still, you know, some little fine tuning that could be done. Um, I think it's going to feel weird in the standings. Yes. Um, just having extra wins, I'd almost like to have a win column and then like a tournament tiebreaker or something, or like some way to denote the difference between their regular season wins and their tournament wins. Yeah. It's going to feel weird having like a super inflated win art win um, column. Well, and the fact of the matter is wins count for more than losses do. Um, when you watch the standings go up and yes. you watch things happen, um, teams who have uh, one more win because not all not all teams have played the same number of games but according yeah. to the standings right now a team with one more win but two or three more losses is still ahead of the other team with one less win even if they have less losses a win is more valuable than a loss is more valuable than a loss is bad that's not necessarily true it's generally true yeah, but you, third place right now is New York with seven wins. Fourth place is Seoul with three. Fifth place is San Francisco with five. Lon London is six with three. Atlanta with four. Paris with five. Florida with four. Vancouver with two. Los Angeles with three. Yeah. Like it does. It. I don't understand how the standings work most of the time. I well, think it's percentage based. Well, like 
I don't know because for a while that is what I'm describing is how the standings were working. Yeah. It didn't really matter. Your loss column was your loss column only served as a tiebreaker when you had the same amount of wins. Right. Um apparently it's not how it's working right this minute, which no. is confusing, but the whole point of the the whole thing about this is those Call of Duty tournaments um, determine how many points you get towards your regular season full of tournaments. Yeah, you don't even get wins. You just get Call of Duty points, which is based off of your standings in these tournaments. Right. It's really um, weird. These wins feel like Call of Duty points based on our standings in this tournament. Yes. Um, yep. If we have multiples of these going on, I don't, I don't see – first off, I don't see a way for this to really long-term coexist with a regular season. I think that this is just going to be a step towards that, and I do not really want that. So at this point, I am against this against this entirely. Mm. I uh, I think it's just gonna I think it's gonna mess it up. I think it um I think it's gonna mess up the regular season, and I think um I, I, if they were ch if they were trying to tell me that hey it's just something we're trying to do because we want to give you guys something as fans and COVID sucks sure. Um, but it, with the whole, hey, we may do more of these throughout even this season, that tells me that they're leaning towards pushing it in the Call of Duty direction. They're happy with what's happening over yeah. there. And I don't like that. That doesn't It'll feel be, like Overwatch to me. It's just been a, it's been a weird year overall. Um, Overwatch true. and Overwatch League are doing a lot of experimentation, which it's nice to see flexibility, but it's also... It also feels like like a lack of confidence in uh, almost in their brand, like mm. in their game and their brand and their league. Mm -hmm. um, and the, these are these weird band-aid fixes to try to fix something that I'm not even sure was necessarily broken, you know? But That's it's just it. loud critics um, speaking out against their league, the, the vocal minority, and they're listening to them, which, I mean, kudos um, I guess, because not a lot of developers even usually listen to their complaints until their game kind of implodes. So kudos to trying to actually listen and correct the course, but I'm not even necessarily sure you were that that far off course. Right. I uh, um, yeah. For, for such drastic changes to be made. So, I mean, the, the league is still kind of in its early years. So... This this is the time to be experimenting. The game is young, the league is young, but eventually we're gonna need some sort of stability. Like we're gonna need to decide that this is how things work and kind of, and and not shake the boat so much. Well, and and some of this feels, you know, part part of this comes from when what had actually caused me to buy in, right? You know, right. some some people like myself are bought into this whole league because of the fact that it was something that we could engage in in the same way other people engage in traditional sports um, yes. and in the potential for true home and away matches and wanting to go and have a regular team that you went and watched several times throughout the year and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. and it's just every step I've been seeing the league take since then has been a step away from that and towards these other methods that are working really well for esports in general and that I don't think are bad. Um, yeah. But, but they're not what 
I bought into when I bought into Overwatch League. Right. Right? And so I kind of feel like my, you know, I kind of feel like my investment's been betrayed a little bit. You know? Right. Which is a real like, struggle. And that, and I think that's something that they really need to keep in mind. Um, there may yeah. be, it may be that most of the people who have invested in the Overwatch League um, as fans, not obviously as regular investors, but as fans, um, are just general esports fans. But one of the things we noticed really early on, and I think is still true, is that Overwatch yeah. League fans and regular esports fans are not the same group of people most of the time. There's not a lot of overlap, yeah. Um, it seems like they're very different, especially the casual fan. The casual Overwatch League fan is not your general esports fan. Your general esports fan is usually very hardcore. They right. watch every game um, because there, there's not the same loyalty there, right? Right. Um, there's not. There's no. Why would I root for Mad Lions over Misfits? <laughs> I root for Misfits because they own the Florida Mayhem, and I'm loyal to the Florida Mayhem because they represent Florida in Call of Duty and Overwatch. Right. So it just makes sense. That's that's the only kind of allegiance I have to anybody in League of Legends, because otherwise, who cares, right? So right. Other like most otherwise people just kind of bandwagon. Are you rooting for G two? Are you rooting for Fnatic in Europe? Are you rooting for Cloud Nine? Are you rooting for Team Liquid or TSM in North America? Right. Like, they just root for the teams that are good. Um, where brands just aren't that strong, I guess. Um, so this is like a good step towards branding, but you need to realize that, especially in like regular sports too. Yes, you have your hardcore football fans who do their fantasy football and. They watch every game on Sunday. They've got their NFL red zone. But for a lot of fans like myself, I'm only tuning in where the Giants are playing. Otherwise, I don't really care. Right. Um, maybe towards playoffs, I'll start caring about, okay, well, I know the winner of this match is going to get into the playoffs, and I'll start tuning into some of the other matches, and they'll get my intrigue. But for the majority of the regular season, at 7 o'clock, when the Tampa Bay Lightning are playing, I'm turning it on. And then when that game's over it's and off. the next game starts, I'm turning it off. I don't care about what's happening in the Canucks versus the Sharks. I just want to see what Lightning are doing. Right. Um, and it does feel like they've moved away from that. Like, hopefully, you would hope with localization, eventually, I can know I tune in at 7 o'clock when games are scheduled. And I'm going to get to wa watch the Lightning play. I know if Lightning are playing at home, puck drop is at 7.08. Like, <laughs> right. like, you know these things. Yeah. Um, as a fan, you know exactly when the games are going to start. You could schedule your day around it. Um, if I wanted to watch New York play Chengdu on Saturday, they were scheduled for 8 o'clock. If I woke up at 8 o'clock, the matches, the broadcast would have already been over because every game was a stomp. They were over by 6. Right. Or they were over by 7. So, yeah, I don't know. There's it's... there's work to be done. Um, they kind of need to figure out: do they want to be esports or do they want to be localized sports? They're trying to. They're trying to do both. Both, and it feels like, like cool. Try to take the best of both worlds, but you have to take the best of both worlds. You can't just have both worlds in its entirety. <laughs> right, and sometimes those worlds are gonna are gonna fight with each other, and you got to pick which yeah. one you want to lean towards because you're not gonna yeah. really be able to do. Even best of both worlds, you can't do both equally. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You have to pick something. 
Um, all right. So that was a fun tangent. Yeah, it was. Actually, I always enjoy talking about how I feel betrayed by my Overwatch League. <laughs> Isn't everybody? I'm pretty sure that's that's all Overwatch League fans talk about. <laughs> oh man, and then all the esports fans talk about how Overwatch League isn't good as esports. Yep. And which is which is basically translation, Overwatch League is not League of Legends, and I am mad. Correct. <laughs> Literally ninety percent of esports fans complain. It's just um, League of Legends does it like this, and Overwatch doesn't. Why? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> So, that is definitely all the time we have today. Yeah. So, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our podcast. Um, check us out on socials. Um, if you watched us live at all today, thank you. Um, I saw one or two times when somebody popped in, so that's always fun. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, one or two times. Um, At least it was online on Discord. Might have been her. Oh, could have been. <laughs> um, big thanks to Popped Off for all of their support. Um, really, we wouldn't be on the podcasting platforms we're on for those of you who listen to us and uh, without them. And for those of you who watch us on YouTube, they're the YouTube channel that hosts us. So we're hugely appreciative to them. They're awesome, awesome dudes. Um, and... Check us out, follow us, things popped off, and that's that. So, I'm Allure Moore. Mallard. And you've been tuned into Cal Fans, and we'll see you next week.